Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Hell is a teenage girl. You know, that really is the line from this movie, isn't it? I mean, it was either going to be that or I'm going to eat your soul and shit it out, Leslie. I am a god. There's so many good ones. I stand corrected. There's a lot of the lines in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) For the sake of our show, Hell is a Teenage Girl, yes. Hell is a Teenage Girl. And if you have been a fan of This Ends Up Prom for a while, you might be thinking to yourself, y'all did Jennifer's Body, like... Years ago. Three and a half years ago or something like that. Like episode like seven. Yeah. It's one of the earliest episodes that we've done. Or was. Was. So yes, unfortunately, we were doing a little bit of server moving and this episode got eaten. It was. It was consumed by the void. Um, A couple of those early episodes were not backed up correctly on our hard drive. And uh Fortunately, we all the other ones are fine. This one is not. And so here we are. Yep. So Jennifer's Body is one of the most important films we've ever talked about. So it felt wrong to not have an episode. So, of course, we needed to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in the last just three and a half years, this movie has gotten an even bigger reclamation and reassessment and it's turning 15 later this year in September and Diablo Cody, a screenwriter of Jennifer's body is returning to the teen comedy horror space with Lisa Frankenstein this month. So it really felt like now is the time to return to our dear friend and, and talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, and this is hopefully a thing that we won't have to do ever again because I don't want people to be like, man, this ends a prom really ran out of ideas. I also <laughs> Now they're just rehashing their material. <laughs> I also hope it never happens again because I don't like crying and I cried. Okay. <laughs> but yes, we are revisiting our friend Jennifer Check. Let's not let's not call friends. Okay, that's true. <laughs> Maybe your friend, not not my friend. <laughs> we are returning to Diablo Cody and Karin Kasama's Jennifer's body. And since the original episode was destroyed forever, uh, let's. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of standards of how we run the show that also just didn't exist at the time. So. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. I think we have our uh, shit figured out a little bit better than we did then. Yeah, but like we have context. Mm-hmm. We have like a little bit better of a discussion of history history with things Mm -hmm. so um yeah my history is i didn't watch it at the time i watched it when we did it and i'm not positive if i've watched it since really i think so i think you've watched it and like i've been in the room but i've not sat down and watched it okay you know okay what what about you you let's 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 talk about 
go ahead and share that for anybody who is not aware of your uh, history with this movie. <laughs> okay, so I saw Jennifer's Body in theaters in 2009. I was 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was about a year into my blog, Day of the Woman, Rest Her Soul as Something well. else lost to the void. Something else lost to the void. <laughs> um, but... What's interesting is that because of the way this movie was marketed and because of the reputation that Megan Fox had as an actress in kind of the public light, there were a lot of horror people that were like, this movie's going to suck. This is going to be awful. And they were almost gleefully waiting for it to come out just so they could shit on it. Mm-hmm. And this is also 2009, reminder, a time period where the only way to sort of be respected as a woman in genre spaces or any male dominated field was to be the ultimate hashtag not like most girls. Sure. You had to be able to hang with the boys, which meant that you had to shit on a lot of stuff that was stereotypically girly. Dude, Twilight for, was out at the time. I was going to say for more information, go listen to our first Twilight episode. That that's that's kind of where we're at in terms of like girly horror is mm-hmm. The romance of Twilight is is dominating the conversation. Exactly. And so when this came out, I saw it in theaters and I loved it, like genuinely loved it. But as I was writing my review, reviews from other people were starting to go live and I was seeing, wow, people really don't like this movie. Like mm-hmm. they really don't like this movie. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of scared to be out about it, to be like, I like this movie. This is a good movie. This is the message that's being lost on people. Yeah. But because I couldn't say any of that and still be viewed as any sense of legitimate, mm-hmm. um, my review of it opens with like, oh my God, can you believe it? I actually liked Jennifer's body. Mm-hmm. It is the most like pick me ass shit. It's so embarrassing. Well, you need I, that. Ugh. You need that parachute. Yeah. If, if anybody's ever curious for why you are the way you are on the internet, it's because you've spent the, 15 years having your opinions be shit all over for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to have like these prerequisites before you say certain opinions. No, you're a hundred percent right. Like the fact that I have been, you know, open for public consumption since I was 18 years old has like irreparably damaged my brain and how I interact in, in public. I'm mm-hmm. very aware of that. You have to be very correct and have the best opinions at all times. Yes. And or at the very least, be able to very <laughs> factually and scholarly defend your opinions of things in the most impossible to misconstrue way that will still be misconstrued. Yes, exactly. <laughs> God, the horror sphere is not the most kind place for no, women. <laughs> no, it's not. And in 2009, it was a bloodbath. It was it was horrible. Um, and so I have like a lot of mixed feelings about my introduction to Jennifer's body, because on one hand, I wish that I would have had the strength to champion it in a way that it deserved. But again, I was 19 years old. I was just getting started in my career and I would not have the career that I have today if I didn't buckle under that pressure. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. And we can add that to the long running list of reasons I am in therapy. Yes. (laughs) So do you want to talk about a little bit of context with this thing since we're basically already there? Yeah, we can do that. So this comes out in 2009, as previously mentioned. It was not well-received based on the trailer. Mm-hmm. We are post-Twilight. It is a interesting time for horror, to say the least. But if you watch the trailer for this, it's fairly infamous if you know any of the history of this. It was leaning heavily on Megan Fox's sex appeal 
and the fact that she was like bisexual and she goes both ways. And like, that was how they were pitching the film. Cause the studio clearly did not know what they were doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Considering we were coming off of the 2000s, which was not really a scary time for mainstream horror. It was a mean time for mainstream horror. It was incredibly mean. Yeah, like that's that that's the thing is like you talk in horror circles and people will be like, it's not a good movie. It's not very scary. And it's like, that's not a good metric for a horror movie all the time. But especially during this time, so much of them were just fucking vile and mean spirited. And, like, there's a lot of reasons for that, particularly we were all dealing with, like, the war in Iraq and post-9-11 trauma. Mm-hmm. But it's not – this is not really a scary movie. No. It's also not that sexy of a movie. No. So then you're double misrepresenting it on top of the fact that you're, like, going for a masculine audience mm-hmm. when this is clearly, like, not a movie for that. This is a movie about teen girls for teen girls. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, that's really what it's going for. And since the best that we had during this decade, which, you know, we're 2009, we have a whole lot of remake syndrome and girl in tank tops in peril syndrome, Mm -hmm. like a whole lot of horrible things in the trends of this at the time. God, it just is like such a weird outlier that they had no idea what they had on their hands. And to go back to the twilight of it all, which, again, I highly recommend people listen to that episode. Studios did not think that movie was going to be successful. Mm -hmm. They did not think it was going to make any money because they didn't think that teen girl audiences were viable. So instead of marketing Jennifer's body to its target audience, which is teen girls, they instead were like, nope, we're going to try to really hit that 18 to 25 male demo really, really hard. And so they flooded that demo with their test screenings. Mm -hmm. And Karn Kusama has talked very infamously about how one of the cards that they got back where they could leave comments said the movie needed more boobs and it was spelled M-O-A-R-B-E-W-B-S. More boobs. Yeah, because you don't actually see Jennifer's boobs you see like you know you see some skin cleavage and you know like it's implied nudity but you don't actually see it and also like the kiss that is shared is not meant to be titillating for male audiences like it's a genuine expression between two characters with a very conflicting relationship with Mm -hmm. one another and so not to mention there's also no like male fantasy characters in this movie no. because they all get fucking eaten. They're also not really a lot of significant guys. Like the closest you're going to have is Chip as like a, a significant dude who's mm-hmm. more than just fodder. <laughs> right, you know, right. Charming father, fodder in the way of Colin Gray. Love him. Ugh, love but, you, Kyle Goner. Yeah, it's just there's there's not a there's not that that surrogate character no. that exists for dudes. Um, speaking of something like this, I think maybe the best example of how studios and the people who were making waves in horror felt about women at the time is like the cabin fever girl vision, mm, chick vision. Yeah, that you want to talk about that for a hot sec because I think that really encapsulates what we thought of women watching horror movies, where it's like this isn't for you in the 2000s. That was the perception. Yeah. So Eli Roth gets go home heat with me for a number of reasons, but one of them is because on one of the early DVD releases of Cabin Fever, there was a mode you could watch the movie in that was labeled chick vision. And what it meant is that whenever something was scary happening on screen, a pair of like hands would digitally come up on the screen to make it look like you were watching the movie through your hands because you were scared. Mm -hmm. That is how we viewed women as horror fans 
in the 2000s is that women couldn't hang and it was fun to joke about them. It's the age old trope of like, you always want to take a girl on a first date to a horror movie because then she'll get scared and she'll nuzzle up next to you. Mm -hmm. Like it's just bullshit. And it's stuff that makes me so fucking mad. And the problem with the Jennifer's body marketing is that by catering so heavily to the male gaze, it also then turned off the people who would have benefited from this movie because so many women I know did not give this movie the time of day because they thought it was just going to be Megan Fox being hot for two hours. There's nothing for them in this. True. And then that compounded with like the girl hate of Megan Fox is hot. Therefore she's a slut of the two thousands. Whoa, my God. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. That's its own. That's, that's part of the movie. Honestly, that's part of the movie, so. but that, that's, it's, it's so big that it's its own subject point of yes. the hatred towards Megan Fox. So yeah, that, that's what happens here. And now to catch up to speed, um, everyone was certainly with the reemergence of Megan Fox, I think is a big factor in it. Um, and also just like more, uh, diverse voices in in mm-hmm. film spaces over the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. We've seen a big resurgence of this film to really bring it back to the limelight. So I think the the kickoff happened during the film's 10-year anniversary in 2019. Sure. Um, there was a big Beyond Fest screening where Karin Kusama and Megan Fox were both there and did a Q&A. That was a huge deal because it was the first time the two of them had been together talking about the movie, mm-hmm. which is you know something that really hasn't happened. And this is also taking place when social media has become an extension of pretty much all of our lives. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that Everybody who once thought I'm the only person in my friend group or I'm the only person in my town who likes Jennifer's body can now find the other people who like this movie Mm -hmm. and connect with one another and realize, oh, wait, there's way more of us than I realized because now their voices are being amplified to the same level Mm -hmm. as the people who were like, this movie is dog shit. I mean, you really just need to get the snowball going. Pretty much, you yeah. Get, you need to get some people talking about it and then enough people talk about it and then everyone's talking about it. Yeah, and the other very important factor into this is that a lot of younger people who weren't around or at least weren't old enough to be cognizant of the Jennifer's body is bad sort of mentality were able to come to the film with fresh eyes, with no preconceived notions, with no sort of pressure on them, and they were able to love it. It's mm-hmm. the same thing that happened with Grease 2, where the people who are the most ride or die for that movie are the people who saw it during re-releases and didn't have, you know, pundits and whoever yelling in their ear, oh, you know this movie's bad, right? Like, that didn't exist. So I they mean, were able to just watch it fresh and love it on its own merits. It's the same thing with Ska, where there's a bunch of young people who are really into Ska because they didn't have, you know, a solid 15 years of just ska jokes. Yeah. Like, like people don't take into consideration how much outside influences do have an influence on how you feel about something. Mm-hmm. The time period in which you watch something, the age in which you watch something, how the, the conversations publicly are happening, that all will affect how you view something mm-hmm. because it's impossible to remove that from you. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, it's really weird to try to watch this movie without the influence of other people Mm -hmm. for me because it's like cool well I thought I knew what this movie was and now I've like got to the point where I'm like okay cool I'm seeing what this movie is now and now I think you know three some years later I'm also looking at being like there are some people who I think do overhype it a little bit we're overcompensating Mm -hmm. just a touch oh yeah the pendulum Um, has swung really hard and we need to I think it'll naturally settle back into being like no this is a very very good movie but some people think it's like the greatest movie of all time I'm like I 
I don't know if I'd go that far, but, you know, I also think Angel is the best movie ever made. So, you know, <laughs> agree to disagree. Um, something I do think is interesting is a couple of years ago, like between Jennifer's Body, the lost episode and this is um, we ended up doing a festival about a um, like a mini series for the Internet called Hetero made by like some high school students. And it was all mm-hmm. gay. And there's like they have this romantic date where they watch Jennifer's body. Like that's the gay movie you watch mm-hmm. on a, on a romantic date. Um, I think hetero is getting like some sort of, I think it's being dis- distributed. Yeah. yeah. I think it's getting coming to like YouTube or something mm-hmm. soon. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But yeah, like I just think it's really interesting that people who were barely alive when the movie came out are just like, no, this is the movie. Oh yeah. I mean, this when, is the sapphic movie. When Bottoms was doing its press tour, Letterboxd interviews the cast and it's like, you know, what are your four movies? And multiple people said Jennifer's body was in their top four. Well, I think also a lot of it that comes with it is like people our age who remember this time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, that's what my teenage years looked like. Yeah. Versus teens now being like, that's what I wish my teenage years looked like. Because right. <laughs> like 2000s shit is so hot right now. Yeah. And we get this really rose colored glasses version of it where it's like, no, like this show is like, this movie's mean. Yeah. But it's honestly not as mean as the 2000s really were. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I hope people look out for when they go and see Lisa Frankenstein, because it definitely deals with the same like Diablo Cody teen speak, which is something we will talk about in a little bit. But it doesn't have as mean of a streak as this movie. And I think it's because that's just not the world that we live in anymore. No, not at all. Um, so it's really interesting to see how her language for teenagers has evolved. Um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. But if somehow you are After listening. After all of this. If somehow you are listening to this podcast and you have never seen Jennifer's body, here is your synopsis. When a demon takes possession of her, High school hottie Jennifer, Megan Fox, turns a hungry eye on guys who never stood a chance with her before. When evil Jennifer satisfies her appetite for human flesh with the school's male population, her nerdy friend Needy, Amanda Seyfried, learns what's happening and vows to put an end to the carnage. Sure. I mean, it's real vague. That's a way to sell this movie when hiding a lot of what this movie is actually about. I mean, it's not technically wrong. Right. It's not necessarily the best way to pitch it. Right. You're, you're really um, bearing the lead on all of your strongest elements, but fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy February prom party. Over on the Patreon this month, we have tons for you to look forward to. For the Sadie Hawkins dance, we are covering The Way Way Back, which has been something that's been recommended uh, quite a few times from people I know and listeners alike as a very good coming-of-age story, and I'm looking forward to that, as as well as something that's slightly outside of the age demographic, but I say that these guys have a lot of arrested development, so it's totally fair. We're doing train spotting as well. Higher up in the tiers, we are on our second month of Daria. Um, Unsurprisingly, I really enjoyed the first four episodes that we did last month. And I'm just really delighted by our time and having the reason to go through this. So hopefully you'll join us on that adventure. The documentary that we have decided to cover this month on this little excursion is called Kid 90. It is a documentary by... Soleil Moon Fry, who you may best know as Punky Brewster, and apparently she just carried a video camera with her everywhere in the 90s and recorded all of her friends and a lot of her life, and it's all about 
the struggles of being famous at a very young age and uses a lot of what I guess could be described as archival footage of child stars of the time. And I'm super excited to see what that looks like. In addition to all of our bonus episodes, you can find our monthly playlist, see what each week's episode is going to be ahead of time before everyone else can, get access to the suggestion box, as well as hundreds of past bonus episodes that we've done and, and, and playlists and all sorts of other goodies. As is always the case, especially in these uh, trying times, if you're not able to support the podcast, we love you. We just appreciate that you listen and go on this adventure of healing our inner childs with us. If you haven't already, feel free to leave us a review, a nice five-star one if you're feeling so inclined. Recommend us to any of your friends and leave us some comments. There's been a whole lot of people who have done that for our Spotify as of recently. And uh, yeah, it's been really exciting and enlightening just to hear directly from people like that without the need for social media. (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, back to the movie. Alrighty, so to kick things off, I think we should start with the kicker, K-I-C-K-E-R, Needy, since that is our introduction to this film. How do you feel about Needy? She sure is Needy. <laughs> Anita Lesnicki is sure a Needy Les. God, it's just like, that. that is just the most on-the-nose naming convention that is... I'm I'm cool with. I love it. I think it's great. Like this isn't from some fucking J.K. Rowling way too on the nose things where it's just the most heinous, awful, hilarious right. thing you've ever heard. Um, no, this is like this I'm fine with. But yeah, no, she's the more obviously toxically codependent one of her best friendship. Mm-hmm. I agree completely because we do get these little flashbacks of Jennifer and Needy as kids. You know, sandbox love never dies, and them together in the sandbox where Needy is so into taking care of Jennifer. Oh, yeah. I mean, they kind of do like a blood pact accidentally. Yeah. Like, it's definitely not supposed to be They don't mention that really specifically. You just kind of infer that, that they're linked through Mm -hmm. it. They're they're linked through that moment. They have their BFF necklaces. You know, when Jennifer does turn into a succubus, you know, she can't kill Needy even though she feels hungry and feels like she needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there is a bond there. There is a very special relationship between the two of them that sort of defies all natural convention even before the band tries to sacrifice Jennifer. Yes. Um, with- well, like that, that there, there's a bond from like the sandbox, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then you get older and it just turns out that one of them ends up being like the absolute hottest girl you've ever seen in your life. And mm-hmm. one of them's a dork. Yes. Like that's just the way it happens to happen naturally. Exactly. But it is that thing of, this is your very first best friend. This is the first love of your life. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a person that is going to mean a whole hell of a lot to you, regardless of how things end when you go older and move apart. Some friendships last forever. Some friendships do not. I mean, I think end of high school, regardless of demon possession, they probably would have stopped being friends. Probably. Because that's when I think a lot of this stuff really gets tested. And I'm not positive that it would have weathered that storm. I, I don't think it would have. Um, but you know, we also don't know because the love that the two of them have for each other, we'll talk about it more when we get to Jennifer, but the love that they have for each other is 
again, like be, it's beyond the realm of high school. Mm-hmm. The love that Needy and Jennifer have for one another is not the same as the love between like Needy and Chip or the not love between Jennifer and name a guy in devil's kettle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, but something that I love about Needy is that as much as Needy is kind of poised to be like this nerd or whatever, people know who she is. Like, She's not invisible. She's not invisible. It's not like she's like this ugly duckling. She has a boyfriend. She's smart. For all we see, she's Mm well-liked. She's just not Jennifer because Jennifer is like otherworldly hot. Yeah. And like that's true because it's Megan Fox and no one on planet Earth looks like Megan Fox except for Megan Fox and people who've paid a lot of money to look like Megan Fox. Correct. So Jennifer, as we find out like kind of in the climax of this, She's not as socially relevant as she used to be. Mm-hmm. She's not Snowflake Queen anymore. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Needy's social status comes from the fact that, like, you're not single. Mm-hmm. So that's all that does a lot of work in high school. Mm-hmm. But also it's like your proximity to someone who once was the Snowflake Queen. We're mm-hmm. aware of you because of Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously just being in the presence of someone like that, like a, a powerful woman, like a Jennifer check mm-hmm. that that's intoxicating. That feels good. Mm-hmm. But also having sort of like fame or infamy in your small ecosystem because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could understand why like you would develop that codependency. Absolutely. Especially when like you have nothing in this town. We're going to the club. You're not going to the club. You're going to a tavern. Like it's like a moose lodge. Yeah, I mean, Chip even says that Melody Lane is not a club. It's a bingo hall with taps. You know, I bless Chip for being realistic on that. I love Chip. I Ch- can't wait to Chip has Chip. some really tempered expectations for certain things, and I, I appreciate that. That was me, where I was not going to get caught up in the pageantry of something just because it's better than everything else to think that it's like, man, that's New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just not. Right. Yeah. And something else that I like is that we also see that Needy is – independent like she has a codependent relationship with jennifer but she also has her own life she cooks for herself at home she takes care of her mother she has a pet ferret um when things hit the fan she goes to the library you know because the library there's an occult section at the school it's small it's small movie seven out of ten not enough ferret Um, but she, uh, you know, she takes the initiative to learn these things because for as much as this movie is absolutely about like that toxic codependent friendship, this is why Needy is the one that ends it all, like who puts a stop to it because we see these little inklings throughout the movie that she's the one who actually recognizes how bad the situation is. Jennifer never gets there. Mm -hmm. Like even when she dies, she does not get to the point where this is a bad situation. Well, like that's, that's what we're seeing though with her independence is she Mm -hmm. has a boyfriend. She's doing things. What does Jennifer do other than try to maintain her like, youth and beauty of like two years ago yes what is what is jennifer's long-term goal what does jennifer want to do mm-hmm. yeah we I don't, don't know i don't think she's figured it out she's like already thinks she's over the hill basically yeah i mean she which even, like is very maybe that's why all the young yeah, kids relate to it thing. because they're all terrified of getting old at 17 right <laughs> i mean because she she also has 
found a way for herself to stay on top. Like, you know, Needy at one point is like, I'm calling the police. And she's like, I have the police in the back of my hand. I'm fucking a cadet. Mm -hmm. Like, she has very much figured out a way to stay the biggest fish in this small pond. And I think there's a lot of fear of, you know, high school coming to an end that Needy's going to go off and, like, probably, you know, continue with Chip. If they don't last, then, you know, she'll date somebody else. Sure. But she's going to... She's going to leave and she's, she's going, going to, to do leave. things. And Jennifer doesn't seem to have the plans for leaving. If you are, or even worse, if you were, like, the most popular girl in school... What does that mean when you're not in school anymore? Mm -hmm. She's already been on the downslope for like two years. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's a hundred percent that. And so yes, let's talk. Let's talk a bit about Jennifer and specifically. I do want to bring up the casting of Megan Fox as Jennifer because it is a bit of meta casting that has only kind of been reassessed as meta casting, even mm -hmm. though when they did it, they knew exactly what they were doing, but sure. people were too stupid to realize what they, that's what they were doing. I mean, this movie's genius with a lot of its decisions. And I think before, and I, I think a lot of that comes with like, this is Diablo Cody's follow-up to an Oscar film. Mm -hmm. Like Juno shouldn't have been an Oscar film because it's definitely not what they go for, but it totally was. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, once you do that, you kind of get like free reign to do what you want afterwards. So, and I think that's why we have so many bold decisions in this film as a film and not as marketing said film once like it was delivered for why it's untampered. A hundred percent. And so Vidiots did a screening of Jennifer's body where Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody came. Were and both there. They were both there. And they were both very nice. Um, Diablo Cody is especially delightful because she was stunned that people like this movie. Yeah. So that was a huge thing is that, you know, Karen had done the Beyond Fest screening. So she has been in a theater where people are 100% on board. Diablo Cody had not yet had that experience. So when they did the Q&A, one of the first things she said was, I've never been in a theater with people who get this. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it, you know, it blew her away to see how many people like are very into this movie and understood what she was chasing because that's not what happened when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really wild. Like right now, the Lisa Frankenstein marketing is happening. You know, Diablo Cody has made other movies since Jennifer's body, but yeah, like it's been like Tully. Tully and like they're a little spaced out. She also has like a few uncredited writing stuff. Like she's yeah. been doing things. But when they credit her for those projects, they always credit her as like Academy Award winning screenwriter Diablo Cody. Yeah. And it's a reference to Juno. With Lisa Frankenstein coming out, it's now crediting her as like with acclaimed, like legendary screenwriter of Jennifer's body, Diablo Cody. Like mm. that is how far we have come that the movie that was originally like what could have killed her career because people hated this movie when it came out so badly is now being used as the selling point for her next movie. And that makes me so unbelievably happy mm -hmm. because this movie deserves its flowers because it's fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. And part of that brilliance is the casting of Megan Fox because one, you need somebody that is otherworldly hot. You need someone who's going to live up to the legend Yes. Like, like when, when someone talks about like uh like the perfect piece of music in a movie and then they play it and it's like, you know what? Um maybe the shins aren't as good as Garden State makes you think they are. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, they're good, but like, is it gonna change your life? Mm, maybe not. Right. But like Megan Fox, it's like, no, she absolutely hits the height that she is projected as. Yeah. 
So like from an aesthetic standpoint, she's perfect. But the part that is always underrated to me is that Megan Fox is genuinely really funny. Yeah. Like her comedic timing in this movie is so fucking perfect. Yeah. And you have to be good to be able to get a hold on Diablo Cody's language. The best actors are the people who can make her language sound authentic. Mm -hmm. And that's why Elliot Page is a genius. That's why Michael Sarah is a genius. That's why Megan Fox is a genius. Yeah. Because all of them were able to take this dialogue that with a lesser actor would not know how to make it fit and she makes it fit and she's so good at it. Yeah, I think in bad hands you end up with like something akin to an unhinged Travolta performance. <laughs> right. Where you right. just you just listen to him say things and go, "What are you even doing?" <laughs> <laughs> like I think that's what you get with if you don't have anybody who really understands what they're do- what they're what what they're being asked to do. Yeah. And she she understands the assignment. Like she genuinely understands it. And it makes her like it makes her so electric to watch because she commands that power that only the most popular girl in high school can command. Mm-hmm. Like it very much is a Rachel McAdams as Regina George, or even now a Renee Rapp as Regina George performance, where it's like, you, you are- You need to have the it factor. Yeah, you're a magnet. Like, yeah. I can't stop looking at you. I, I laugh mean, at everything that you say it's because- the, It's the thing with Travolta, where you watch him in Greece and you look at him and go, he's a star. He's a fucking Somebody star. Somebody needs to be a star. They need to project, like, you can say what you will about maybe performance or chemistry. That's all, that all is like effort. You can, you can, you can achieve that sometimes. But being able to look at someone and go, yes, that you can't fake. Yeah. No, they they need to have that X factor. They need to have that visual point that makes you go, I get it. Yeah. And she's she is a star. She is. Oh, my God. She's a star mm-hmm. because there's so many things that her character does and says that I, like I don't think I would buy other people doing it like her being like, I'm going to go get shooters at the bar just by playing Hello Titty with the bartender. Not everyone can pull that off. Nope. Like so, This is like one of the annoyances I get whenever people are like, uh, my life is hard. I hate my job. I'm just going to quit and go get an OnlyFans and become a millionaire. And it's like, you think it's that easy? Try it. Yep. I fucking dare you. Yep. You can't do that. Don't disrespect that work. And it's the same thing. It's like so many people like, I'm just going to go to the bar and get free drinks. It's so easy for me. And it's like, is it? Prove it. Show me. Show me you can. I wonder if people still do that. Like, no, nobody these days has a lot of money. I feel like the kind of guys who are willing to just chuck money around at the bar to buy girls drinks probably are really douchey. Because like, what did what did you do to make a lot of money? Whose ass did you kiss in the corporate world to make a lot of money that you can throw it around like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I feel so scrumptious. Goody for you. You know when you kiss a boy for the first time and it feels like your entire body is on vibrate. Yeah, it's that good. Well, that's nice. Um. I'm still a little bit depressed about, you know, the giant smoldering funeral pyre in the middle of town. (sighs) Moveon.org, needy, it's over. Life is too short to be moping around about some white trash pig roast. That's sweet, Jen. You know, I tell it like it is. And besides, you know what? You should be happy for me because I'm having the best day since, like, Jesus invented the calendar. Jesus didn't invent the calendar. Whatever. Other line, hold on. So blow it off. 
It'll just be a minute. Ew. I'm crossing you out. So, like, Jennifer has that power, and Megan Fox has it just tenfold. Yeah. But there was so much hate lobbied against her during this time period for mm-hmm. a multitude of reasons. One, because she is just so unbelievably hot, and this is a, a hashtag not like most girls, girl hate era, where if you were hot like this, you were seen as the enemy, no matter what you did, what you said, it didn't matter. People Mm -hmm. fucking hated women during this time period. Because you're hot in a way that guys think are hot, not hot in a way that girls can respect. Yes. Um, And it, so that's a problem. Mm. And then also Megan Fox famously uh, blew up at Michael Bay on the set of Transformers. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said some not so nice things about him. She compared him to a Nazi. Probably not, you know, the the greatest choice of words, but also- Probably not, but Michael Bay really likes the military, so. Yeah, and also Mm. Michael Bay was not cool to her. Like, he was really shitty to her, and she's young and lashed out. And again, we have to remember the context. This is a decade where people are saying edgelord shit all the time. Like, feminazi was an extremely common- insult that was lobbied at women all the time. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she called him a Nazi, yeah, not appropriate language to be using. However, let's not pretend that Megan Fox was the only person calling somebody a Nazi as an insult without taking into consideration the gravity of what that word actually means. Mm -hmm. So let's not do that. Um, But there was eventually a piece on the Mary Sue called, So When Are We Going to Apologize to Megan Fox? Um, And then there was also a big piece in BuzzFeed that was like, we probably all owe Megan Fox an apology. Basically looking at the way she was treated in 2009, the same way that we have reassessed the way that like Britney Spears was treated mm-hmm. in that decade. The, 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 the crushing pressure yeah. of being a woman of that kind of fame during that kind of an era. Absolutely. I mean, this is why we all like Megan Fox. This is why we're all pulling for Megan Fox. This is why we all go, God damn it. I wish you would leave Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Right. And so with her casting, there's two things that add like layers to this movie. And that one is when we do get to the sacrifice um, where the band decides they are going to sacrifice this girl so that they can be more famous. It's sort of drawing a parallel to the way that Megan Fox was being treated by Hollywood, where Mm -hmm. they were going to make her a sacrificial lamb so that they could all profit off of her and destroy her in the process. Yep. And Megan Fox has gone on record talking about it of like, that's the hardest scene I've ever done because it feels so real. When you see me crying and screaming, that's me dealing with how I was being treated by the Hollywood system. Like it's, it is the darkest scene in this fairly mean movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's an exploitation scene. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, I spit on your grave. Yeah. This is not, uh, it's especially uh, potent with the juxtaposition with them singing Tommy Two-Tone. Yeah. So Adam Brody in this movie is so funny. Um, and he's great at playing this specific, like, shitty indie guy with guy liner. Uh, just- and he's so clearly a red flag. I God, I know. Like he, he's so clearly a red flag in the way that a lot of guys in bands are red flags, but especially when you're just getting like this taste of the outside world in a small town that they can't even get the name right. Yeah. Like, oh, it's it 
it's magnetic. I understand why you would be drawn to this band. And both... Even if they suck. And both Diablo Cody and Karin Kasama have talked about how a big inspiration for this band was that, like, in the 80s, there were these hair metal guys that people absolutely worshipped, but they were singing, like, the most misogynistic lyrics possible and turned out to be but, a bunch of but assholes. those weren't the hits. The ballads were the hits. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yes. And then when it comes to, like, a lot of the, these bands in the 90s, there were people, like, following these, like, very soft, artsy boys in the 90s. 90s that were you know talking about change or whatever and then those worlds sort of collided in the 2000s with these like emo bands where they had all these really big important feelings but a lot of their lyrics were also about like my girlfriend broke my heart so I'm going to kill her like mm -hmm. horrible things and obviously there was no way they could have predicted it but the fact that we have seen that a lot of these emo bands um, had a lot of unsavory characters in their bands do a lot of unsavory fucking things to their fans. Totally. That like, it's like, no, you nailed it. Like low shoulder absolutely is a, a symbol of this horrible time period of music that I care about deeply because I love emo music. But also I have to reckon with the fact that a lot of the singers of a lot of my favorite bands are unforgivably monstrous people. Oh yeah. So two things. One, we are on our way out of emo. Like emo is, is it had its time in the sun about 2005, 2006, 2007. We're a little bit past that now. We're moving into a different kind of like more mature indie rock. So one, their song sucks. <laughs> like Through the Trees is terrible. <laughs> um, it's especially bad as a show opener. Like that is a show closer mm -hmm. at most, or at least the, the one you end before you come back out for the encore for like the real up tempo number. Um, they're very like Kings of Leon. This mm -hmm. is their use somebody. Mm -hmm. This is their Biffy Clyro's many of horror. This is that kind of shit. Um, that at least with the emo bands, yes, they would have these like softer, sweeter kind of uh, more, more intimate songs that felt vaguely Christian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that was their version of getting like, Oh, I'm this is their dare you to move. Yeah, this is I'm gonna get really. Uh, I'm gonna get, just really bring the lights down. We're gonna bring out the acoustic guitar, and I'm gonna really tear my heart out. And it's gonna kind of sound like praise music. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Like they. There. There's that aspect of they suck, but also, this is the only way they'll be famous because like they're not pretty enough. They're not talented enough. They even say like there's so many indie bands right now. How the fuck are you supposed to get famous if you don't get on Letterman or some redacted soundtrack? Yes, then you're not gonna be famous. Yeah, yeah. You guys suck. like this would be a good soundtrack band. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. This is absolutely the band that plays during an episode of like Teen Mom, and then you get the little thing at the bottom that's like, uh, this is Through the Trees by Low Shoulder. Buy it on Apple Music. I mean, you could say that. I would say Grey's Anatomy. Oh, yeah. This, this, oh, God, this yeah. could get a chasing cars yeah. kind of slot, you know? Yeah. Some real adult contemporary indie rock made by 24 year olds. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm kind of obsessed with Low Shoulder and how bad they are. Mm -hmm. And how, like, they keep, they don't go away. They yeah. keep playing throughout the whole fucking movie this one song that sucks. And everyone is convincing themselves that it's good because now they have an emotional attachment to it because obviously, like, the tavern burned down. Mm -hmm. But also, man. They were in our town before they got big. Mm -hmm. So now you're extra defensive about it. Uh -huh. Dude, fuck this band. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
yeah, fuck Lil Shoulder. All my homies hate Lil Shoulder. But uh, going back to Megan Fox uh, at this Beyond Fest thing, she talked about her performance and she says, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, you know, when I was studying method acting, because that's not really what was going on. I think in general, I'm a much more vulnerable person than people realize. I'm very permeable. And I was at a place in my life and in my career in dealing with fame where I felt I was really struggling with that. So I was sort of raw and very open, but also trying to constantly cover it by adopting a Jennifer Check-esque persona in my own life, which was an effect. It wasn't really totally genuine. So I think it just happened. I happened to be the right person to play this character at that time because I was kind of living a microcosm of it already, if that makes sense. And so that makes me want to look at like the Jennifer Check persona that Megan is talking about here because Jennifer Check is also putting on a Jennifer Check persona. Oh yeah, we know she's insecure. We know she's insecure. We've already talked quite a bit about how she's insecure. It's such an act. And the moment for me that I love the most is before the dance where we get that famous shot of her putting on makeup in in the oval mirror and right next to her on her desk is a photo of her looking beautiful and smiling. It's like a class picture in an oval portrait. Mm -hmm. And it is this moment where we see the real Jennifer that is inside her. Like the real Jennifer, the one that fell in love with Needy, the one that is her best friend, is deep underneath there, underneath the Jennifer Check persona, underneath the succubi, underneath everything that's going on in her life. And you can see it in her eyes where she's like, I don't want to do this. Uh I don't want to go kill these boys, but I have to, or this is what I look like. And I can't live with the fact of not being this person that I have built, this like persona that I have built. Oh, there's a prison to being hot like that. Especially when everyone assigns your value to it because like, what does anybody have to say about Jennifer Check other than she's Jennifer Check and she looks like that? Yeah. What 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 does Jennifer do? So um, I don't I don't I don't know. I mean she's on she's on the flags. Yeah, so, like, I, I guess that's that. like an extracurricular. <laughs> it's not a personality. <laughs> so this is, I think, like a conversation that is worth having though, and it is one that I think is really hard for a lot of people to have because it's so much easier to just hate the hot girl. Oh yeah. Because pretty privilege does exist. Let's just blanket statement right off the bat. Pretty privilege does exist. That is a very real thing. Appearances and aesthetics are a form of currency in our culture. Pe- people it are is. kinder to you if they think that you are hot. You get more opportunities if they think you are attractive. Like there are so many benefits that come with being attractive. So everything that I'm about to say does not discredit any of that. It is an and. It is not a zero-sum game. They do not cross each other out. They exist at the same time. Sure. Being pretty offers a lot of positives, but it does also offer a lot of negatives. There is a lot of unwanted attention that comes when you are that hot. There's also, like you said, a lot of assumptions made about you when you are that hot that either you must be a slut and you must be easy because look at you, of course you are, or you must be stupid because pretty girls can't be smart. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's just a lot that, that extends to a whole lot of ways about how people just perceive bodies where it's mm-hmm. like I'm either depending on who you ask I'm either a 2 or a 10 I'm either disgusting or people are way into me sometimes in the wrong way mm-hmm. versus and you it's like well people think you know whatever they think about fat people but those big titties uh-huh. oh what's your name BJ uh-huh. oh absolutely Pe- people all have their like really simple like I can understand something that I think about you just by looking at you mm-hmm. and that comes in many many different forms and have their own 
benefits and their own negatives. Mm -hmm. But particularly when it comes to being like this, like unavoidably attractive. Mm -hmm. And like we can just look at that and it's unarguable. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That 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 that's an entirely different ball game that like it's hard to navigate, especially when you're young. Oh my God. Yeah. And that she's been like been perceived as sexual since she was in like junior high. Mm -hmm. So like she was sexualized young Mm -hmm. um, and is still young. And it is even more sexualized by men who are being like predatory in ways that aren't just rapey. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, a lot comes with this. It's hard. And so another aspect of this, and I've I've watched Jennifer's body so, so many times. Um, but recently uh, for this episode, I watched it once with Harmony. And then a couple hours later, I introduced the film to our dear friend, Caitlin Tyrell, who uh, writes over at Screen Rant. Hi, Caitlin. I love you. Um, but Caitlin had never seen it. And Caitlin is also queer. So watching this with a queer person who has never seen it, has no preconceived notions and was just processing it in real time Uh was fascinating because I had this feeling for the first time of there have been so many reads on these characters as like you know, they have an asexual relationship or they have a bisexual relationship (laughs) or, you know, because Jennifer says I go both ways that that makes her bisexual. I mean, you could say there's compulsory heterosexuality to this. You could say that like Jennifer doesn't actually like needy. She's just weaponizing sexuality as like a lot of women were accused to do if they were bisexual in the 2000s. There's a lot of things you can say about a lot of different things. There's a lot of different reads to have on this movie. And my personal read has a evolved a lot over time and here's where I'm landing with these characters the more I've like hyper fixated on this movie sure I think Jennifer's a lesbian um I think that Jennifer is deeply in love with needy and is using men in the same sense that like I did when I was in high school of like one it's safe to be perceived in a small town as straight sure uh two there's power in being somebody that is, uh, you know, highly sought after sure. by men, um, that can make you feel power powerful I mean, that, in a world where you feel really shitty and vulnerable all the time. That there's there's currency to dating in high school. We've talked about it in a billion episodes where it's like mm-hmm. just being in a relationship means that like someone desires you and therefore you are not nothing. Absolutely. Um, but like even adding to that, I'm pretty sure that we've talked about either on the podcast or not at this point about how. You specifically had like attraction to dudes if it was a girl that he was dating that you liked. Yes. That that was and that's also what's, part that's of it. what's happening here. And that's what's happening in this movie is the only men. She really... thinks Colin Gray is cute and therefore he's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody, any guy who has like kindness proximity to Needy, where Needy feels bad for them or Needy thinks that they're nice. They have to die because that's attention that should be on Jennifer that Needy is giving to other people. Oh, yeah. That's the way she ends up refining it. Initially, it's just kind of like, I don't know, who's who's available? This jock? I'm just going to eat him because he's there. Well, so here's the thing. In my rewatch, no, they're all connected to Needy at some point. Okay. Like, she, she's the one who points out up at the, uh, the, the, the foreign exchange room from India at the bar. Needy goes, oh, Look, he's here. She gives him attention. She points him out, and he ends up being the first victim. Then when it comes to uh, Jonas, who is upset about Craig, Needy expresses, oh, I feel so bad for him, like, because... 
Craig's dead. And then Jennifer goes after him. There was sympathy. There was sympathy. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Colin is her, like, he's in class with Needy and she thinks he's really smart and interesting. She thinks he's he's gonna die. And then she goes after Chip because Chip is her boyfriend. Of course. Like, so. It it all just naturally builds up. They're all. It's It's a smorgasbord of attention where she just, like, people who are around needy or at least she's paid attention to in a really really distant way and it just ends up getting more and more specific all the yes, way through her boyfriend exactly ah. it, gets, it gets closer to home as it goes on so it's like oh no this is a hundred percent like just like tremors <laughs> just the just, dinner bell just you, like tremors. you just watching them come down coming down the highway and it's just a big old dinner bell and then chip is perfection yeah you, no but you're a hundred percent that is that is what it is but this is the situation of like this is the stereotype of the lesbian who who can't stand like, you know, her straight friend or whatever has boyfriends. So she sabotages all their relationships. Like that's what's going on here. And it was watching and I was like, Oh my God. And it really, really clicked for me when, uh, when they do have the big kiss, when they're kissing each other, you know immediately that they have a rhythm. This is not the first time they've done this when they separate and needy yells, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? It's not because they're kissing. A lot of people read that scene as, oh no, they've kissed and Needy's having like gay panic. Needy's not having gay panic. They do this all the time, which is why Jennifer says, we can play boyfriend, girlfriend like we usually do. Needy's freaking out because she's thinking about Jennifer being covered in blood. (laughs) Yes, and I mean, really just to add to this, no disrespect to Chip, I love Chip. Needy absolutely did not learn how to kiss by kissing Chip. No, she did not. No, she did not. <laughs> Chip does not like. Maybe he's one of those guys that's just like secretly really good. But like we see how he does sex. I don't think that that's the case. No, but he's trying his best. Bless Chip. He's Bless a sweet Chip. boy. He got condoms I'm that are ribbed for her pleasure because he's very thoughtful. considerate he's of him. Considerate that that just like a boy who really has a Motion City soundtrack poster on his wall. Yeah, he's he cares about you, girl. <laughs> but like you can tell, like they have a rhythm. Because they start kissing and then like Needy is on top. Like she mm-hmm. takes the power she, position. Oh, she is the butch Be- one. She's the butch. Oh my God, God so you're butch. butch. Here's the thing. I think that also adds to the sexuality of it. Because it's like you, you know, say whatever. People have their opinions. But like if you want to follow, keep pulling at this thread that Jennifer's a lesbian. It's like, yeah, I don't think that we were allowed to actually have conversations about lesbians being this femme. No. Because you're hot in the way that lesbians in porn for men is hot. Yeah. And that's not a real, quote unquote, version of lesbianism that we're seeing in the 2000s. No. And like I talk about this all the time on TikTok because obviously I do not look like Megan Fox. Let's not play that game. But I, I still do... think you're hot. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. In in your own not Megan Fox way. <laughs> <laughs> My wife thinks I'm hot in a not Megan Fox way. <laughs> you know what? I think that's just what marriage is. If you can find your wife hot when she doesn't look like Megan Fox, that's good. <laughs> but no, I talk about it all the time on TikTok, though, about how a big part of why I was so confused about my own compet for many, many years was because I was under this impression that people who did baton twirling and did beauty pageants were not lesbians. But you're a cheerleader. Exactly. Jennifer is not a cheerleader, but essentially the same. Things think she's a cheerleader. People always think that she's a cheerleader. The synopsis is on IMDb, I think, is like, she's a cheerleader. She's not. She's not. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, But I talk about that a lot of, you know, when you are this femme, it is kind of believed that 
oh, you must like this fashion or you must like this makeup or this aesthetic because you're trying to appeal to the male gaze. And I'm not. I like it because I like it. That's just you. That's just me. Yeah. And like Jennifer is the most at home and the most comfortable when she is feeling sexy. Like she embraces that about herself. She likes that about herself. But I promise there is no universe in which she is allowing herself to understand that she's probably a lesbian because if she's getting this much attention from boys and the thing too is if you look at how she interacts with all of the men that like either she's dated or has hooked up with or is actively fucking she doesn't like any of them. Oh no she actively hates them. She actively (laughs) hates them. Like she's fucking Chris Pratt and is just like ugh. I hate you. Ew Chris Pratt. (laughs) I don't think he'd gone full nutters yet. No he does get credit though because I absolutely love his delivery of shitting on low shoulder and calling him a bunch of fagos. Yeah. (laughs) The way he says it makes me laugh really hard and it's like there's That's a lot of good. really, really good lines. Um, what What's the one that you had to explain? Uh, Chester? Chester's? Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a, at the front where she's talking about getting getting messages from Chester's, meaning Chester, Chester, child molester. Yep. Um, we, we said Chester's in my high school. I mean, I'm aware of, of Chester's. Yeah. I'm not going to say it was a common term. Like, it wasn't thrown around, like, as as much as, like, the word flamer was thrown around at the time. Like, I don't think that's one people use anymore. Yeah, Fruity but it was, was the big one for us. Fruity was not one that we used. Flamer was, like, fucking flamer. Like, that <laughs> That was the one in my school system. But, we also um, just had, we, we had some nuts on it. We were just, <laughs> fag. <laughs> yeah. I think that, like, th- these are just those very, very uh, of their time terms that haven't really, yes. really... That really haven't gone outside of that no. ecosystem. Or an eyeliner. You look like a bunch of fagos. Well, you would think that, Roman, because you're a small-time gomer. Sweetie, quit tampooning yourself and get down here. Hey, how how are you gonna get alcohol? <laughs> uh, I'll just play Hello Titty with a bartender. You want a stat? What's up, Vagisil? I wonder if he's circumcised. I always want to try a sea cucumber. These are like smart bumps. Okay, you point them in the right direction and shit gets real. Eat my ass, Chip. You're just jello because you're not invited. Where's it at, Monastat? Today is the one month anniversary of the tragedy at Melody Lane. Boring. While we're here, though, talking about kind of the Diablo Cody teen speak of this movie, um, again, I think Diablo Cody's a genius. I've said this many, many a time. And the reason that I think her teen speak is so brilliant is because she's not chasing popular slang. She's mm-hmm. inventing her own slang and making sure that it sounds distinctly teenage. Um, but because it's not locked in time to a specific time period, Jennifer's body still feels like it could have been made last week. Um, There are like obviously a couple aspects of it, like the use of Fago, like the use of uh, the, the R word redacted of redacted a few times Um, that, or, you know, you know, the second half of it just being slapped on things. Yeah. The T a R D adding that to the end of words that are not, that was such a 2000, that was big 2000. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, all of that, that I fully believe still exists in small towns. Oh, 1000%. Like dinner in America. Shout out again, Kyle Gallner. Love you, Kyle. Um, there's like a whole, like the whole first 20 minutes of that is setting the stage of like, yeah. Here's the environment you're in. You're in a city that is, uh, about 15 years behind everywhere else. And they are still calling people the arsler yep. in public because, uh, they haven't caught up yet, nor do they care. I want to I want to talk about Kyle Gallner in a sec, but like oh, we will talk about my boyfriend Colin. Oh, Gray. don't worry. God, I love him. 
But yeah, no, I think that especially with the way that we appreciate, like, yeah, I think it was Y2K, but I think we're just, I think we're, you know, rocketing our way to like mid 2000s now. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of this like big soup of like 1998 to like 2009 that like the teens are just into. Yeah. I mean, and they also are wrong a lot of times. There's a thing on Twitter this morning that was cracking me up that uh, Bobby from the Afternoon Special podcast, if you're not listening to that podcast, you should be, or if you're not following Bobby, your friend who knows a little bit too much about pop culture on TikTok, you're also fucking up. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was pointing out that there's this big trend right now of uh, like people that are doing like 90s office, like femme fatale makeup. I can't remember the exact term for it, but it's basically just... Kim Kardashian circa 2014 with Bayonetta glasses Mm -hmm. and all of the images that they're linking to it of like, oh, office, I think it was office vixen. I don't remember. They're like 90s office vixen. This is the makeup we're using. And the movies that they're pulling from are from like 2009. Yeah. Like it's not from the 90s. One of my favorite things about like doing not at all accurate makeup is nobody did their eyebrows. Yeah, they all keep doing their eyebrows, and I'm like, we didn't do, do that. Do you know what you did? You just over-tweezed them and made them really skinny and called it a day. Yeah. We you, went, didn't, you didn't fill them in. Didn't you didn't draw them. In. Nothing. No. No. Or they'll be like, here's me, here's makeup from the 1950s, and they're like doing contour concealer, and I'm like, they nope. didn't do that then. Definitely not. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that that's something that we're getting with a rough approximation of of culture where um, we were talking about this the other day in, you know, around the living room about the carpenters. Because <laughs> nobody's doing the carpenters. Because I was like, why is no one doing the carpenters? Um, we all retrospectively have been like, yeah, the carpenters are incredible, especially Karen. Like, she really sells that group. Like, yeah. Richard, kind of a piece of shit to his sister. Mm-hmm. I think that you don't have to try and do the carpenters because no one is Karen Carpenter. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we are talking about, like, let's punk revival, like, 70s or 90s. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring back disco. We're going to bring back um, funk, post-Uptown funk. Like, we're going to bring back all of these things that are, like, the cool parts of history. And yet we're all sitting here going, no, but, like, I really love me a good piano singer-songwriter who has, like, nice harmonies and good good melodies. And mm-hmm. we really, like, it exists, but it's underutilized. Um, these, like, big, lush ELO or Carpenter's arrangements that make the music sound full when like you have an at-home studio like you could do that mm-hmm. but like these are not like inherently just cool mm-hmm. like, you, like you have to be a little bit more of a dork you have to admit that you like something that isn't cool maybe there's a vulnerability to really committing to creating an art piece of art like this mm-hmm. but yeah we're like getting really selective about our history of things mm-hmm. and it's it's weird to see it happen so quickly for one thing, but so insincerely. And on that note, that's been something that I find really fascinating about the way that younger people talk about Jennifer's body Mm -hmm. because it is a no brainer classic to them. They're like, Jennifer's body is a classic. And they say that with like such strong conviction, which they're right. Correct. But this is a cult classic oh yeah because it did not succeed people did not like it the way we define cult classics is really fucking different these days also true in like the age of streaming and stuff like that like not a lot of movies get like big followings after the fact the way that jennifer's body does anymore Mm -hmm. um i also think like i'm sure like i don't have any examples off the top of my head but like there's movies that you and i probably thought when we were 18 being like oh this is one of the best movies ever made and it's like oh yeah no that movie biffed it Mm -hmm. like uh the thing 
Mm-hmm. Where it's like, man, we fucked up. Like we did, we we did that movie so dirty. We as a culture, we fucked up, fucked up so hard, <laughs> not making that an instant like biggest movie of the year movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's bound to happen. So like, I I get it. Like if you don't just sit down and look at the numbers and you just look at the art as it is, I'm very much a like what you see is what you get person when it comes to consuming art. I don't. I sometimes will read into it. Sometimes I won't. But at the end of the day, it's like. What is this song? What is this movie? I like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that like for especially like current generations who don't always do the most extra research unless it's presented to them mm-hmm. on like a TikTok of someone who did do the research. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that kind of like extra credit. Yeah. No, I agree completely. And speaking of somebody who does do the extra credit. Let's talk about our guy. We're going to talk about Colin Gray. Oh, I love you, Kyle Gallner. You're the best. We're going to talk about Colin Gray. I... Love this character so much. And of all of the boys that Jennifer eats, this is the one that makes me the saddest, even more sad than Chip. Okay. Um, and it's because I have an affinity for these emo boys. Um, if you were a boy between the years 2004 and 2009 that you looked uh, remotely like this, that wore eyeliner and had a studded belt and painted your nails with You wore Sharpie, a lot of uh, horizontal stripes. A lot of horizontal stripes. Um, I love you. And I wish I could protect you and all of your feelings. Yep. Um, because I know how broken you all are because you wrote songs about me and told me. Yep. <laughs> they were going through some things. They were going th- through some things. So you were there, Jennifer Check. Why I love Colin so much is that one, we know that he's genuinely like a nice boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that as much too when he dies and there's his funeral and his mom is like beyond devastated about her son because I think a lot of times like emo kids or alt kids are presented in a way where it's like their parents hate them or they come mm-hmm. from rough households. Sure. And that's not always the case. Sometimes the these kids dress this way because they come from loving households where their parents actually give them the freedom to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's that's just part of the scene. Man. Yeah. That's what we're seeing with Colin. And so the reason that I also love him is like one, if any boy was like, Hey, do you want to go see a rep screening of Rocky horror? You already have my heart. Yes. I would like to see that. Yeah. Um, but he asks Jennifer on a date and it's so him swinging out of his weight class. Yeah. Um, because he is so shocked when she's like, you want to ask me on a date? And he's like, huh, what? Yeah. What? Like, cause he's not ready for that. And sure. especially when she's like, Hey, come over, let's watch Aquamar- Aquamarine. He's like, uh, okay, like he didn't think this was going to happen, but he is such a product of, you know, this social conditioning where even though he is the edgy guy, even uh, though he's into- In quotes. In quotes, but even though he's into, you know, stuff that Jennifer probably isn't, he no, still- he likes maggot rock. He still feels like he's supposed to like Jennifer. Sure. And therefore he needs to pursue her. I think there's also proximity where uh, it's like, oh, I talked to Needy. And but your needy has a boyfriend. And your needy's friend, mm-hmm. which means I've got an in. Yes. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, Jennifer's like, yeah, here's my address. Here's my house. And he shows up and it is clearly like an abandoned fucking house uh-huh. in like a uh, in, in like a, a new cul-de-sac that they're building. And he doesn't question it. This is one of those things where teens will find like drainage pipes for like sewer runoff and fucking those. Yeah. Like teens will find the weirdest places to fuck. And that's the thing is like as much as I want to be like, Colin, why didn't Red you flag. why didn't you run away from this? I also know plenty of people who would fuck in abandoned houses. Like there was a whole house dedicated to that in my so-called life. Yes. Like it's it's a thing. So like I get it. And also when you show up and you can hear somebody playing 
I wanna love you. Yeah. You already know. I don't know why it's the censored version for this movie, because I thought this movie was like, oh, maybe it's PG thirteen. No, it's rated R. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because like that was the one that was on the radio, so that's the one that's more recognizable. Honestly, I feel like they probably didn't were trying to avoid like a parental advisory sticker on the CD, maybe. Mm. And if you get the censored version, then maybe nothing else on the soundtrack mm. drops any fucks. And so, like, then you then you get a double dip on selling your movie and the soundtrack. I see you winding, grinding up on that pole. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's there's sex music playing. Like, why wouldn't he? Just right. So why wouldn't in? he? She's eh. clearly there. Um, you know. And, and then he gets Rocky Horror killed. And then he gets Rocky Horror killed, and it's so brilliant. Coming. Like, it's so good. Like, uh, just it's so poetry. good. Poetry. Um, sp- speaking of like redefining history i'm sure there's people who look at like colin's style which apparently Mm -hmm. kyle picked out himself yeah i was listening to like an instagram live that kyle was doing with johnny bertolt about uh the passenger which Mm -hmm. is a movie i highly recommend all of you see totally i mean it's a horror movie so like trigger warning for all the things um but they (laughs) were talking about it and somebody asked him about colin gray and kyle was like oh i picked out that outfit like Mm -hmm. that was that was my idea, and I'm like, you brilliant bastard. I love Kyle. He's so <laughs> fucking good. I love it whenever the um, when people will be like, look at this guy now, and it'll be like Colin Gray next to Simon from Dinner in America. Right. And they'll be like, ah, he's grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, he walked so that Simon could run. I know. <laughs> um, I, I love that shit so much. But you watch this movie, and like, we are, the emo's on its way out in terms of like mm-hmm. mainstream appeal. Like, a lot of the big bands have shifted away from this look. Mm-hmm. Um, the very hot topic look. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that are still doing it are the ones that I would say are not so cool. Like the blood on the dance floor kind of bands mm-hmm. who go in really and like they're starting to look like hair bands at this point. Yeah. Everybody looks like they're an anime character. Yes. Um, this is still the era I think where we haven't really marketed skinny jeans to boys yet. So they're still buying girls jeans. Mm-hmm. Like this guy's supposed to seem like super fucking bogus uh-huh. like he's so uncool yet there's people who are probably like no that's just what all emo kids looked like and they looked like the coolest person i was like he's not he's actually supposed to be really fucking uncool and that's why this is really like that's why this is silly that's why it's really absurd that jennifer would go out with him yes. especially as she like talks shit about him the whole time i know <laughs> he paints his nails he listens to the maggot rock I have a bigger dick than he does. <laughs> oh, God. Just, what a great line. Like, Jennifer Check is a suck my dick girl. She really Confirmed. is. Like, so much so. <laughs> um, but no, I love him. I love seeing Kyle Gallner pop up and everything. I think he's just spectacular and always gives it 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he's, like, not really even in the movie, like when he was in Scream. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. He, I mean, he's there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of people who are there, I guess, like, side tangent. Why? What is Lance doing during the last scene of this movie? Why is, Why is he there? Because that's what he does. Was he actually just driving by and they were just like, <laughs> fuck it, you want to be in the movie? <laughs> I don't know the story behind how Lance Hendrickson ended up here, but I'm glad he's here. I fucking love him. I mean, I'm always <laughs> delighted. Speaking of a guy who gives 110%, like... John Woo lit that man on fire and he was still going. Like Lance Henderson's <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, Lance Henderson rules. Um, so yeah, no, I um I, I love Colin. I would say I'm more devastated by Chip because Chip is a nice boy who I probably am closer to a chip. Johnny in Simmons high school. like 
getting to hear his voice again for Scott Pilgrim takes off healed something in me that yeah. I didn't know was broken. Well, he's been gone. He's been gone for so for yeah. so long. I don't know why. He's so brilliant. Like yeah. he's wonderful in this. He's wonderful in Scott Pilgrim. He's wonderful in the to-do list. I love him and like Chip is such a great boyfriend character mm -hmm. because one he's a good first boyfriend he's, he's such nice. a good first boyfriend like he's, he's a nice so boy. fucking awkward <sighs> god he's but like not awkward to the extent where you look and go just dump him needy right no not like, at all you're not sitting there going like i don't see what she sees in him it's like no he's fine he's fine he's a starter boyfriend yeah he's and, but perfectly he, okay but he genuinely likes needy but he's also like he's such an unapologetic high school boy like bless his heart when she's having a crisis and he's <laughs> like I yeah i'm big? really good <laughs> i'm not just someone who made love to you for four and a half minutes and it's like chip don't say that out loud <laughs> You know, that's longer than a lot of high school boys. That's true. Bless that's, his heart. That's true. But like, he's so sweet. And like, I also understand why he doesn't like Jennifer. Yeah. Because she does kind of. She's mean and he's a nice boy. She takes, she takes his girl. Like he even says like one of his first scenes, stop kidnapping my girlfriend. Yeah. Because. This, this is why I was like, I was built like a jock, but I was more of a chip in personality because I'm forever Michael Sarah. Um, that's why I'm like, I don't like mean girls. I like mean women. <laughs> Jennifer check is a mean girl who will never grow out of being a mean girl. I get why he doesn't like her. Yeah. And he doesn't like, but he's also right too, because needy will say things like, you know, we're biffs. Like we have things in common. I like all the same stuff that she likes. And he's like, no, you don't mm -hmm. because he doesn't have this. I think like, they did at one point And then you just never update that sentence in correct. your brain. It's like, Correct. ah, yes, we have, yeah, we're really good friends. Um, We like Legos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And animal crackers. Ooh. <laughs> but no, like, and she also exists in Jennifer's world. Like we see it when she does her introduction of like, you know, wear something cute means something. It means yeah. don't show her up. It means I can show my midriff, but not boobs because that's her area of expertise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is a sign of their codependent friendship, their toxic relationship. You got to figure out how to work around your best friend's um, isms. Mm -hmm. the, the things that are going to set them off because it's like, how fucking dare you? I'm betrayed. Mm -hmm. Like you got, you got to walk on eggshells so as not to piss off your friend. Yeah. And, you know, it it's complicated by the fact that the two of them clearly have a love for each other that yeah. is very real, which is why... Jennifer doesn't eat her like her first instinct after she becomes, you know, the, the, the succubus is to go see needy. Like she even says, like, I don't remember what happened. I just know I made my way back to you. Mm -hmm. That's very romantic. Like in a fucked up way, that's incredibly romantic. And then she ate the Boston market chicken. She wasn't supposed to eat and vomited on her floor. Romance. Yep. Uh, she does that. And then, you know, she gets her against the wall and you can tell she's about to start what she does with the other boys of like, are you scared? Because it's like, I need you hopeless. I need you, you know, whatever. They and, taste better. And when Needy says yes, she goes to bite her neck and can't do it. And mm -hmm. that's why she then goes and, you know, eats the uh, the foreign exchange student um, because she loves Needy and she can't do that to her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything she does evil wise, you know, as we previously mentioned is in response to needy. It's mm -hmm. wanting her attention. It's wanting her love. It's wanting to be the only one for needy. And the only time that Jennifer is actually vulnerable 
is when the BFF necklace comes off and it severs their oh, tie. It breaks her heart. It breaks her heart. And then she gets stabbed in the heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's it. That's the end of it for them is a broken heart. She, and then you have to watch her mom come in and hold her dead child. In it's front of so your face. sad. It's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> it's like genuinely really sad. It's like that that along with like the asylum that she is basically like put into because like I think it's a prison, but it functioned more like an asylum. Yeah. Um, It's very gothic. Mm hmm. Yeah. It, it very she gets superpowers. Is. But you can even see, too, that like Needy's feelings about Jennifer are still present even mm-hmm. after Jennifer is dead. She had to stop Jennifer because she had to stop Jennifer. Yeah. But what does Needy do the 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 second she is out of prison? She kills the band that did this to her friend and then, you know, sparked all of this. Her at least her anger is in the right place. Mm-hmm. Like she has to kill the band because it's their fault. Jennifer had to die because it just she had to. Like that's the only way to move forward here. But her anger doesn't stop with Jennifer because she knows in her heart of hearts, it's not Jennifer's fault either. Jennifer is the symptom. She is not the cause. Yeah. I think that they would have like ceased being friends at some point. You know, Needy probably would have matured to a point where she didn't need Jennifer anymore. Um, And that's good. Like you shouldn't. You shouldn't want to be a needy person. You shouldn't need to be codependent on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like that kind of independence for yourself is extremely healthy and a very important part of growing up. But not having the option for it to end on their own terms like that. Mm-hmm. That's the part where it's like, that's the tragedy of it. Where it's like, this could have like, you know, we naturally could have drifted apart or we could have came to like an amicable thing. Instead, it became a fight and it's not her fault. Some dudes changed her. She could fly. She's just hovering. It's not that impressive. God, do you have to undermine everything that I do? You are such a player hater. You're a jerk. Wow, nice insult, Hannah Montana. You got any more harsh digs? You know what? You were never a good friend. Even when we were little, you used to steal my toys and pour lemonade on my bed. And now I'm eating your boyfriend. See? At least I'm consistent. Why do you need him? Huh? You could have anybody that you want, Jennifer. So, why Chip? Is it just to tick me off? Or is it because you're just really insecure? I am not insecure, needy. God, that's a joke. How could I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah, two years ago when you were socially relevant. I am still socially relevant. And when you didn't need laxatives to stay skinny. I am going to eat your soul and shit. I thought you only murder boys. I go both ways. And ultimately, because Needy is the one who goes away, she's also the one that is now going to carry the the reputation of all of these deaths. Mm-hmm. Megan's getting off scot-free with all of this because sure. the only person who knows the truth about Megan is Chip, and he's dead. So this looks like Needy has been killing people 
for a long time. Yeah, so that's why she seems like a psycho. That, yeah, and so that means that Jennifer gets to die with this like good reputation. She she, she get, gets to be martyred. Yeah, she gets to be the the town gets to view her the way that they view everyone at that tavern and the way they view mm-hmm. low shoulder. Which like the cruel irony is like yes, will they be dead and they deserve it? Sure. But now they're going to be like this tragic band who was cut down in their prime. We'll remember you forever, Eddie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is the uh, that is a song from Phantom of the Paradise about somebody who takes his own life so that his record will uh, sell a lot so that he can save his younger sister's life. Yeah. You're welcome. But they're going to be a band cut down in like their prime, right when they right when they were on the upswing, like they were they were struck down. That's going to make them more legendary. Mm-hmm. Like that that's the that's the beyond the credits that we get, mm-hmm. and that sucks. <laughs> but what I do find really interesting, again in like this meta meta way, is that. For all of the reputation that Megan Fox had in 2009 of people like hating her and thinking she was all these things, she was not like a lot of her contemporaries because this is also the time period of like Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and, you know, all of these figures kind of like partying and doing, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, the crotch shot from the paparazzi getting yeah. out of limos or whatever. And, you know, Megan talked about it during Beyond Fest where she was like, I never drank. I never did drugs. I never went to clubs. I've been in the same relationship at the time for 15 years. I didn't understand really what it was, why people project this onto me, why I'm such a mirror for people in that way sometimes. So that was my life immediately after the release of Jennifer's body. And it was very difficult. And that persisted for several years. I did do Judd Apatow's movie, This is 40, where two critics were like, hey, she was almost kind of funny than that. She did okay. Hmm. And then I went on to do Ninja Turtles. And then I did New Girl. And that was the first time I noticed where there had been a shift where people were like, wow, she's actually good. She's actually a decent actress. And some people went, she's never been a particularly funny actress. And I was like, then watch Jennifer's body, you fuck faces. No, she's real funny. If there's one thing I've ever been, it's a comedic actress. Uh, We don't let hot girls be funny. We say it all the time. I know. It's so infuriating. Yeah, and then she went and did uh, Rogue, and she got to be like a badass. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see Megan Fox do more things. I like watching Megan Fox do things. Mm Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't like listen to her talk about how she and Machine Gun Kelly drink their blood, but I guess that's their business. They're just making it our business. Yeah. Which, like, people are going to want it to be their business no matter what. Oh, of course. You know? Like, that. that's really what this all boils down to is, like, the, 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 the codependency we have on celebrity bullshit. Yeah. Like, she will forever be Jennifer Check. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And something else that happened during that Beyond Fest screening that I wanted to read because I really liked it is that somebody in the audience asked a question And they said, I watched this movie when I was 14 and it was kind of the first time that I was like, oh shit, I think I'm gay. So I wanted to ask, do you think this is also a movie about sexuality and sexual exploration? I think that it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Karin Kasama says, it was so crucial that the reveal was that actually Needy and Jennifer had a sometimes intimate relationship and that is why it's so emotionally entangled. It's not just BFFs. It's kind of a lot more complex than that. I felt like I got a lot of blowback for embracing the eroticism of that relationship, but for me, that was part of the film identity i've always embraced the idea of queerness and i just feel like their relationship was not made more titillating for a young male audience it was made more interesting for everyone for the actors playing those characters because they have a somewhat secret but deeply close relationship and megan fox says i think for me at least i knew that this scene was not going to be taken for what it was intended to be going into shooting so there was this pressure of almost anticipating the disappointment i think i said this on the press tour or before that the entire trailer was probably just going to be the scene of me making out with amanda and it would be 
the clickbait title like Megan Fox's first lesbian scene. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So I think it made it hard to experience it the way that I would have wanted to because I was so preoccupied with what is going, what is this going to be turned into? Which of course it was. It was completely misunderstood. From the test screenings, bros were like, yeah, and like broing out over it. And Kusama goes, and the irony is I think that the scene is both erotic and really scary because it's at this point that you see Jennifer's power. And so we're not sure where this is exactly going. Mm-hmm. And uh, Megan ended it with the line like, you know, maybe that's where they thought it should have had more boobs. Um, which, again, comedian. She's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, there's like, I, I think the reason so many people continue to resonate with this movie is because everything in this movie is not just one thing. It's so smart. It's so layered. It's so metatextual. There's so many things to talk about with this movie and how its relationships are depicted and how these characters feel about one another and how they interact with each other and how their decisions are so intrinsically linked mm-hmm. to each other. Um, and then on top of it, it is, it's just funny. It's, it's a very entertaining so movie. so fucking funny. Yep. Like every Without being line, a horror comedy. You know? Yeah. Like, this is one of those things that I think a lot of horror films struggle with now. Um, and people are mad at Jordan Peele about it because he puts, like, levity to it. Because if you're in a horror movie, that means every single character should be full of stoicism, apparently. And that's not how life works. Exactly. That's not how life works. Sometimes people are funny. Yeah. And it doesn't make it a comedy. It just makes it entertaining. Sometimes yeah. that's just it. Sometimes the reaction. Life to, is funny. Death can be funny. Sometimes the reaction to like, well, did you get the make and model really is. I don't know. Chip an 89 rapist. Like yeah. that shit is fucking funny. Yeah. And then there's just like the little observations that are also funny. Like, you know, going on a date with the guy from the ham store. And it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Mm-hmm. We don't know. We're not going to question it. It's just funny. They just let some things be funny and just. Sit there. Yeah. Or the fact that even like the drink that she gets at the bar, which is the 9-11, you know, tribute shooters, which are red, white and blue shooter shots. And it's like, oh, no, Tower One isn't as full as Tower Two. Like that stuff doesn't have to suddenly be unpacked. And like, this is a commentary on what's going on post 9-11. Like, that's not what this is at all. It's just like, hey, sometimes small towns do dumb shit. Yeah. End of joke. Yep. It's all you need. Never forget. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> and we will never forget you, Jennifer Check, Needy Loves Nikki, and Jennifer's Body. Harmony, Jennifer's Body is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes or no? Maybe. Or are you buying her ticket so she can go on her own? I got to say, it is very interesting now with like, I don't know, 170 titles under my belt between the last time we did this to now. I'd be like, yeah, I get this genre way more. <laughs> I have a lot more things to say, I think. Um, I've I've thought about teendom a lot more. It's obviously a yes. Like in terms of like my specific flavor, I'll always be like more of a Juno person. But I first of all, we don't need to pit strong women against each other. But also like this is a denser movie. Mm-hmm. There's way more going on. There's way more different interpretations of it. Um yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer's body is really good. I'm very glad that it's gotten the reclamation it deserves. I'll be even more glad when I think it settles down mm-hmm. to like it's perfect. Like it it hits it hits its zone. Mm-hmm. I know? think we're getting there. I think I think we'll get there, and it'll be great. It'll be considered a bona fide classic that's great and gay and funny. Absolutely. 
Well, y'all, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and especially those of you who have heard our original episode for sitting through it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that this one was fun. I think so, too. We I, had had a, we had a good, I had a good we time. We have fun here. We have fun here. And obviously, we're going to, you know, I don't know, we'll reshare it on socials when it's Jennifer's actual 15th birthday because we're so excited. But I hope that you all took the time to revisit Jennifer's body. And I hope that you all go and check out Lisa Frankenstein. I've yeah. already seen it. Harmony has not. I fucking loved it. I mean, obviously we talked about how great Diablo Cody is. Uh, Zelda Williams is also. Zelda you know, Williams there. is the director and she's incredible. Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse. So we've got two just absolute dynamite stars on, you know, young stars right now working in genre stuff. It's, yeah. it's we'll, great. We'll do, we'll do that when it comes to VOD hopefully in like April. Yeah. Whenever, that whenever it becomes right. more widely available, yeah. we're going to talk about it because I loved it. And I have so many things I want to talk about because I think like Jennifer's body, this movie's going to be really misunderstood, but that is neither here nor there. Go check it out. It opens on February 9th here this in the States. This is not sponsored by the way. It's not sponsored. <laughs> just I'm just being really insufferable and annoying as promised when I saw the trailer and went, Oh, that's going to be my shit. And yeah. then I watched it and now, yeah, it's my shit. Yeah. Also just, <laughs> the name I that know. tells you everything you need about I this. was a Lisa Frankenstein for Halloween like probably 10 years ago where I was the bride of Frankenstein but I had Lisa Frank makeup on perfect um so it was like rainbow bride of Frankenstein is one of my favorite costumes I've ever done do you have a picture of that somewhere on MySpace. you should find it not MySpace, Facebook you should find it I'll find it okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes thank you again for listening you can follow the show on Twitter Instagram and Blue Sky at this ends at prom you can follow me on Twitter Instagram Blue Sky TikTok at BJ Colangelo and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or at Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonder Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. What band, Harmony, is getting the prestigious honor of being recommended during Jennifer's Body? Because we did not pitch bands when we recorded this episode the first time. Yeah, like the first 40 or 50 episodes, I think we didn't do indie bands. Um, yeah, it was going to be like, this one goes out to Colin Gray, but then I realized, no, this is probably more of Chip's flavor because he likes Motion City soundtrack. Uh, I'm shouting out the Toledo, Ohio band Equipment. Woo, Ohio! Uh, I, I love... I love equipment. Um, I did not realize that I had not plugged them before, but you know what? Here we are. This is perfect. Um, specifically, the album I'm going with is Alt Account. It is about, like, it, it feels very uh, appropriate for what we do on the show because it's all having to come uh, to terms with not being young anymore and reflecting back on your younger self while doing some sick Midwest emo um, with a lot of emphasis on pop hooks and really clever lyrics, exactly what you want out of, you know, Midwest emo. Mm-hmm. Uh, BJ was listening to a little bit of this before we recorded. Yeah, this is also very much my shit. This is your jam jam. Um, and equipment does tour pretty frequently. Um, so if you're, you know, into that uh, and you live, yeah, they tend to stick closer to the Midwest, but they've yeah. done some some coasts. Yeah. Uh, definitely go check them out. They they make some fun fucking music. They're rad. Um, I think they're great. Oh, also, the uh, playlist that we did for all of the indie bands that we recommend at the end of the episodes, um, we're doing a volume two of that because volume one got to the point where it was like 25 hours long and that was just a bit too much. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're doing a volume two and I think I'm with that at this point, we're like six episodes deep. So I'm mm-hmm. putting it all together and it's released as the ti- at the time of this coming out. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Amazing. Alrighty, y'all. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
what this is for? It's for cutting boxes. Do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.